2: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula 1 and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And guys, of course, we are very much approaching now the final hurdle of our triple header, the Italian Grand Prix weekend, which of course includes the sprint race as well. And with all the transfer gossip and transfer news that we have received over the last few days, and it has been some absolutely fantastic news for all parties involved, it's time to get down to the serious business of the Italian Grand Prix. And joining me on this episode, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine, sporting the DNF1 podcast shirt. That there is. it is. For uh, our more veteran fans, will recognise the original DNF1 podcast logo before, of course, we changed to the regular uh, DNF1 logo. Courtney, first of all, how does that shirt fit on you and how does it feel yeah, to be finally um... representing the, the brand?
0: Yeah, it's good to finally be wearing the merch. Um, Basically, I haven't worn it before because I was fat-shaming myself, but I've gone on an exercise regime, been going on runs, I've changed my diet, and I can fit a size down now. So it's a good time to be alive, Adam, and I'm wearing the merch to celebrate.
2: Well, you certainly are looking good in the apparel, Courtney, I will say that much. Um, Of course, guys, uh, that shirt isn't available to be bought for those interested in that, that was, uh, I think, a few of our followers won in a competition when we've got 100 subscribers. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to know from them if, obviously, if they're enjoying the shirt or not, or, you know, how it fits. Well, to a degree, obviously, it's not be weird or anything like that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try and get some feedback. Yeah, no, definitely our competition winners. Yeah, I'd love to know if they're enjoying the shirt or not. It's a really nice shirt, actually. So we definitely have to get more of those made up. Uh, with a bit more of a modern twist in the future but also joining us is a familiar guest on the show as always is uh, our friend Lee so Lee thanks for coming back on the show how are you doing
1: hello Hello. I'm I'm, I'm good thank you for having me again I'm looking forward to uh, discussing this uh, upcoming weekend
2: yeah, certainly looking forward to getting into this one. And of course, first of all, guys, um, I just wanted to draw attention. Obviously, the brightness is massive on my phone. I was just going to read yeah, it. Yeah,
0: seeing the glasses.
2: Yeah, this, this is why I turned the brightness down when I recalled it. Um, because otherwise, everybody would see it all reflected in my glasses. And people say, How'd oh, you get better lighting in your room or something to make it a bit more presentable? I said, I would, but then I'd have to take my glasses off. Otherwise, you'd literally see everything on my screen. Not that there's anything you shouldn't see, but it's just yeah it's just really really bad anyway i'm gonna get into this and uh, so we don't often get this Um, obviously we're still really really small and obviously it's lovely when uh our followers or anyone that listens to the show or watches us on youtube um decide to write to us or comment on our videos etc incidentally of course if you are new and you want to check out more of our content hit the subscribe button on youtube and there's plenty there and uh, support us if you can we'd really appreciate that But we received a lovely email from one of our followers, Malcolm, um, who wrote to us and he says he's obviously a Brit abroad. Uh, He loves our content um, from his email and he wanted us to give a shout out to his two sons. uh, Just reading through them. Oh, this is embarrassing. Just reading through. Ah, here we go. Second part of the email. So his two sons, Harry and Jack, who are five and three and watch the races with him. So Harry Jack, hope you are enjoying the podcast if you listen to it. And, uh, big, Hello, lads. big Lewis Hamilton right. fans as well. So, um, yeah, certainly a good way to go. Enjoy Lewis's golden years because certainly a good role model for the young lads that want to get into racing and, and young women, of course, as well. Um, so hope you enjoy the episode, Malcolm. And, and uh, yeah, all the best. So, um, guys, let's, um, get into the nitty gritty. Of course, the Italian Grand Prix weekend coming up, and we've had so much transfer news to sort of whet our appetites for 2022. Of course, the biggest of those has to be George Russell going to Mercedes, a move we expected for some time now. Now that it's happened, we can certainly get excited about the prospects of him at Mercedes on a regular full-time basis. And of course, going up against Lewis Hamilton, uh, no less. Lee, Courtney and I talked about this in uh, quite a lot of depth in our last episode. Of course, if you want to check that out, you can do so. Um, on the channel as well but Lee I wanted to get your thoughts on this one because this is a huge move for everybody involved and first of all do you think this is the right decision for Mercedes to take George Russell on to replace Valtteri Bottas and uh, do you think George Russell is ready for such a huge opportunity? All
1: right. to answer the, the first question uh, Mercedes had to promote George Um you, you look at George's uh, friends so uh, i Colleagues, he's grown up with cut through the karting, through the lower formulas. They're in Red Bull, they're in Ferrari, um, they're in McLaren, and he's trending at the back of the grid, going, "Why am I not up to the final end of the grid with these people? They're doing better than me." So, he, if Mercedes hadn't promoted him, he would have looked elsewhere, and there are teams that would have been sniffing around to have George in their heartbeat. So, Mercedes had to think about the future of when a. a post-Lewis um, Mercedes, when he does eventually retire, be it if that's in two years or longer, if he renews after his um, current contract or his new contract for next year expires, um, which I think, so that's a two-year contract. He's a, he's 23, ain't it? Yeah, so yeah. They, ha- they have to think of the future. Um, so it was absolutely the right decision before you even analyze Bottas's performance. Um, and then in regards to Georgian ready I think he's be, he, he's proven to be ready on the skills side of things he's had three years to, to develop his skills and learn about teams at the back of the grid you have other drivers like Leclerc was promoted after one year um, into Ferrari Max was end up in the Red Bull um, still at <laughs> a very young age a teenager um, so it, uh george has learned how to drive the car that doesn't perform well that doesn't handle how to develop the car bring the team forward you think of where williams is now compared to three years ago okay it's not all george but they can only develop the car from the driver's feedback so it proves that george has learned those skills and he's he's brought that team forward oh, all right with the tv and the, the team as a whole but still good skills that are transferable to Mercedes, especially with a big regulation change next year. So it's, I think it's a perfect opportunity for George and obviously Mercedes for timing purposes.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we shouldn't forget that, you know, Valtteri Bottas did play a huge role in the success story at Mercedes. And Lewis True. Hamilton was very much singing the praises of Valtteri Bottas for a long time probably up until the point when he learned that George Russell was going to be his teammate for 2022. And, um, you know, I suppose, Lee, what I'd be interested to know from you is what you think or how you think Mercedes are going to manage this relationship between Russell and Hamilton. Because right now, of course, there's a lot of respect. There's a lot of admiration. George Russell saw Lewis as one of his role models and idols growing up in junior carton, etc., wanting to emulate the success Lewis Hamilton has achieved in Formula One. But, Obviously, you know, the the tough point for Mercedes is trying to keep two drivers happy in different uh, parts of their careers. You've got one driver who has won everything that there is to win several times over. Um, He's pretty much chasing records and, you know, improving his own legacy, if that's even possible at this point. Um, And he's also a guy that's very much got another two years left on his contract, where I imagine he will want to be the number one. He will want to stay the man in that team. Um, And would hope that his teammate can help him along with that. But you've also got a driver who is very much hungry for success. He's now got his big opportunity to show everybody what he can do in a championship winning car in theory. And the first thing George Russell is going to have to do to cement that position in the team and also going forward is pretty much take it to Lewis Hamilton. Um, so how do you think Mercedes are going to manage that situation? Because they've got their current interests versus their future interests, and they dare not want to compromise either one of those if they can help it.
1: Well, for certain, Mercedes will try their hardest to avoid a uh, Rosberg and Hamilton rivalry that nearly destroyed the, the harmony of the team. Well, it probably did destroy the harmony of the team, say, more than probably. Um, and they, they probably take on some lessons from that time where Lewis and Nico were teammates on how to manage it and obviously the openness. And, and they obviously not silo off each side of the, the garage. Um, but at the, the same time, Lewis is in a, a lose-lose situation. of He has to beat George to prove um, to prove that he's statistically... Well, he is statistically the, the greatest driver of all time. But to keep that, I'm the number one. He has to beat um, George, which would be expected of Lewis. Or George beats him, so he loses either way. There's nothing. There's no way Lewis comes out of it going, "Look at me, I'm amazing." He it's he uh, he beats him or he loses, and it's there's nothing to celebrate on Lewis's side, um, unfortunately. But it's a perfect opportunity for George to uh, take it at Lewis for sure.
2: Yeah, it's certainly a fun dynamic to think about and get excited about for 2022, especially, you know, in Lewis's head, he, he's he been here before. He was once the George Russell in this uh, situation when he was at McLaren making headlines for all the right reasons, winning Grand Prix, and, you know, coming very, very close to winning a world championship in his debut season, something that had never been done before against Fernando Alonso, who was very much the established don in the team, if you like, was promised the yeah. world and um, never expected in a million years to come across a teammate as formidable as Lewis was and caused and it caused so much friction in the team to which McLaren really struggled to handle and uh, as you pointed out Mercedes obviously had similar issues with Rosberg and Hamilton for a number of years until Rosberg decided to retire in 2016. Um, Courtney um, I'm also interested in getting your thoughts on this a little bit more because we talked about this a little bit but um You know, bearing in mind that relationship between Hamilton and Rosberg very much soured uh, in that three year period um, in the turbo hybrid era when Mercedes were on top. Do you fear that there could be a situation that might arise where the relationship between uh, Hamilton and Russell sours in a similar nature, which in an era like we're approaching in 2022 could be very detrimental to Mercedes in a way that it wasn't? because of how dominant they were in the early turbo hybrid era period.
0: Yeah, 100%. I was going to actually say earlier on, the fact that the the bad blood between Lewis and Rosberg happened in a time when Mercedes were so dominant that it wasn't detrimental to the team in the championship. Whereas right now, you have a situation, if this, if this kind of situation was to continue with Red Bull being there, they're about slightly ahead. They can't afford to have two teammates battling each other. So it'd be a lot worse than the Rosberg era if Lewis and Russell were the fallout. But I just get the feeling that Lewis has a slight, slightly different mindset now. So, yes, of course, he wants to win. Every 4-1 driver wants to be number one. And he hasn't been as successful as he has without that mindset. But I just get the feeling that Lewis is focusing more on his legacy that he's going to be leaving behind. In Formula One, I think his main goal, obviously, will be to have title number eight, number eight, have the most titles of any Formula One driver of, of in all time, really. But I think he'd also be, want to be focusing on what he can do for, um, we can do for, like kids from poorer backgrounds, from different ethnic backgrounds, and what he can do for Formula One to make it more accessible in the future. And I just feel that he, after title number eight that's when he'll be thinking about what he's going to be leaving behind rather than who he's competing with on track.
2: Yeah, definitely. And perhaps in a way, if he does achieve that eighth world championship, it might be a lot easier for him to manage that from a mental perspective. It's almost as if, you know, Lewis, like Michael Schumacher said many years ago, they weren't really focused on chasing records, although they were very much well aware of where they stood up against the all-time greats in Formula One to a point where they're now in um, uncharted waters between the two of them uh, or you know unprecedented territory if you like and Lewis is going to be well aware of the fact that he is so close to an eighth world title it literally could happen in a few months time and perhaps if he does he may go with the mental mindset to become more of a master student uh, to build a master student relationship with George Russell help him not necessarily just help himself but of course as you mentioned work on his other extracurricular activities. Um, you know, bring people into the sport, make the sport more inclusive in ways that no other driver in the history of the sport has ever even attempted to do, let alone pull it off. Um, So yeah, it's certainly an interesting dynamic what's going to happen between those two. I certainly cannot wait to see it. I just really hope that whatever happens, um, we just see two of the best British drivers, you know, that we've got just go toe-to-toe with each other and see what happens. It certainly is exciting when we get a past versus, or a current versus future battle going on, and we're certainly going to get that next season between those two. Um, but let's move on to another driver move, of course, we haven't talked about yet. We didn't mention in our last episode, that and we thought it would happen and it has done now, is Alex Albon joining the Williams team from 2022. And I know, Corny, you are making that pose, because I remember you saying a while ago, on the podcast, you expected Alex Albon to come to Williams. I think we're going to have to find that. If you can find it for me, Courtney, I'll clip it and make a meme. I'll make a meme short for you for the channel. Um, <laughs> just to, if you can find that. Obviously I'll task that to you would, guys as well. I would,
0: I would deeply appreciate the tribute. So I'm going to have to go out and find it after we finish recording.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll task our followers with this one as well, if you're interested. Um, and it is a while ago. It's not last week's one. So don't send me that, but one that Courtney, made a bold prediction ages ago where Alex Albon would end up in the Williams team possibly for 2022 and if you can I'll I'll make a sort of meme shorts video for YouTube and uh, yeah have a little bit of fun with that but anyway yeah of course Alex Albon confirmed to partner Nicholas Latifi as we expected him to stay at Williams for 2022 and Lee of course a lot of interest has been surrounding Alex Albon um, obviously you know a lot of people wanted him on the grid for 2022 um after you know being a year on the sidelines in somewhat of an unfair fashion um with his relationship with Red Bull, but that being said, it must be, you know a year out has probably done him some good. He's had some good experience in other racing series. He's had a lot of interest from other series like IndyCar, for example. I think the Dell Coin team that have Roman Grosjean on their books has been very interested in bringing Alex Albon to IndyCar. Of course, that's not going to happen next season. Um, and there's been interest in a lot of Formula One teams as well, where Alex has been at the top of the list. So how good, first of all, is it for Alex Albon to not only come back to the grid in Formula One, but to join a team like Williams where there's nothing but potential from all parties with this move?
1: Uh, I think it's, it is um, good for Alex to come back. And obviously a year out on the sidelines is never great, as proved when Ockham was out year, it will take him a few races to get up to speed and handling the car. It's a different team, different characteristics. whole new car, actually, compared to the last one he, he drove. Um, because, obviously, the change in regulations for next year. Um, so, there'd be a lot for him to take in, but the, just being out of the pressure box of Red Bull, he did very well. At, it was Toro Rosso at the time, um, which is why he earned that promotion to Red Bull in the first place. So, not all drivers do very well being dumped into the pressure cooker of a top-performing team so early in their career. So he gets the chance of a reset and rebuild himself up. And as proven by Pierre Gasly, it's, it can do wonders for your um, confidence and your performance being out of the uh, the limelight, so to speak. Yeah,
2: um, I was actually going to mention Pierre Gasly, actually, and what it did for him, obviously, moving down to Alpha Um, Courtney, do you think that this year on the sidelines has allowed Alex to kind of mentally focus himself on his short-term goals coming back into Formula 1. And do you think also that a move like this at Williams, where perhaps the expectation is a little bit lower and a bit more nurturing, like we saw with Gasly at AlphaTauri, could have a similar effect on Albon as it did with Gasly?
0: I think, yeah, the the past year would have given him plenty of time to reflect because... Let's be honest. A lot of us were disappointed by Alex Albon's performances at Red Bull. But at the same time, anyone that has Max Verstappen as a teammate is going to find it very difficult to flourish, particularly a team at Red Bull where they are very vocal about their main guy. We saw it in the Sebastian Vettel era, and we're now seeing it with with Max. So it's difficult to be a number two driver. Doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to have a tough time at Red Bull. And you know, and Alex is still relatively young. Um, but with Williams there will be an expectation on him to deliver nothing against Nicholas Satifi but he will be expected to be the number one driver he will be expected to finish above uh, Nicholas in the driver stand and so the, the first thing for any driver is to get the better of your teammate and then obviously try to get the best out of the car the way that we saw George do with Williams so there will be eyes on Alex to get those eye-catching performances the way that we've seen with George Russell over the past couple of seasons
2: Well, yeah, that's right. And, of course, we shouldn't forget that um, Albon and Latifi do have experience as teammates in F2 when they were uh, part of the Dams team together. Um, And it was a good partnership there, and Albon had got the best of Latifi in that that particular time. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how those two pair off. Now, of course, Nicholas Latifi, it's kind of hard to gauge where his level really is at because he was up against someone as brilliant as George Russell, But to be fair to Nicholas Latifi, at least on race pace, whilst he's no George Russell, he hasn't been too bad in Mm. the Williams. I would say he's at very least met their expectations this season. He's certainly upped his game. So it certainly won't be um, an expectation where Alex comes back into Formula 1 and he is the outstanding number one driver and dominates Latifi on a weekly basis. I don't see that happening every week. I'm expecting Albon to be strong, but... um, You know, a year out in Formula 1 is a long time. Even in a new era of regulations where it's almost like a bit of a reset, which goes in his favour, I'm not expecting Albon to wipe the floor with Latifi. And if he does, then it will raise questions on both sides over is Albon driving to a a really high level? or Is Latifi just underperforming? I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Um, Lee, what do you think the expectations are for Williams and Alex Albon next season? Because obviously we don't know how good that Williams car is going to be in 2022 compared to the rest of the competition. It's going to be almost a bit like a full reset. So, you know, will they feel that Alex, if the car is good enough to score points and maybe challenge for podiums, do you think red um, Williams would expect him to be on the fringes of that? Or do you feel that they're just going to take this first year and, and, and take what they can get and see as long as Albon is performing well, um, that should be enough for them.
1: Yeah. I think at this point in the, Development of next year's car. They obviously can. They, they can have hopes and dreams that obviously every team wants to win the constructors' championship. But um, and a realistic dream for, for Williams would be fighting for the top, top midfield and not at the bottom. But wishing that and and that being a reality, they're not going to get a realistic idea where they're going to be until obviously next year's tests. So as uh, Courtney already pointed on, is to be the teammates. So that would be the expectation for Alex would be to beat um, Latifi and Latifi to beat Alex. And it's, <laughs> uh, one of them is going to lose. Um, and they probably can't do some finite calculations, expectations, but yeah, it's not going to do Alex any harm if he can do some Mr. Saturday-like performances, be the new Mr. Saturday. I don't know. Could, will George still be Mr. Saturday if he against Lewis? It's uh, <laughs> interesting in, in itself.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, um... I suppose it's one we're going to have to keep an eye on. And, and of course, the nature of the move is quite intriguing because we mentioned before that it may require Alex to formally leave the Red Bull programme to get this move done to keep Mercedes happy so they wouldn't block it because, of course, they're supplying the engines and, of course, an increased technical partnership for next year. It does seem to a degree that that's happened. Um, But judging from what I've read... Um, and this was from a few articles, one by Lawrence Barreto at F1 and, of course, Chris Medlin as well, a few big F1 journalists. Um, they both cite the fact that Red Bull almost seem like they've got first option on Alex Albon if an opportunity arises for him to go back to Red Bull, AlphaTauri, in the coming years. Um, I suppose I want to quickly put the question to both of you. in If you were both the Red Bull boss, say you were Christian Horner or Dr Helmut Marker, whoever makes the decision at Red Bull regarding their driver lineups, is if Alex has a strong year, um, a stronger year, if or not stronger, if Alex has a strong year in Williams next season, and Perez underperforms in 2022, would you put Perez, um, or would you put Albon in the Red Bull alongside Max for 2023, or would you look elsewhere, i.e. perhaps potentially Pierre Gasly, or maybe another driver, in the F1 grid that impresses as well. Um, Courtney, I'll ask you that one first.
0: Uh, In all honesty, I would go for Pierre Gasly. I think some of these performances, uh, even as recently as the last race, have been fantastic. Um, He's shown a real rejuvenation. And Red Bull needs to seriously ask the question, if Gasly does well, do we really want to have Pierre Gasly as a part of our long-term future? If not, it's only fair on Pierre for them to release him and Lamb to go to a team like I don't know so circumstances where to change. I could see him fitting in really well with Alpine. And who knows what the future is going to bring for that team when reg- regulation changes come along. So, for the sake of not only their own performance going forward, but for the sake of the driver that's been a part of their programme for quite a few years now, it would make more sense next season if Pierre Gasly does well, even if Alborn does do well as well. I think Pierre Gasly should be the first choice.
1: And uh, what about you, Lee? No, I would agree with what Courtney said. Um, Pierre's had a, a couple of years to reset himself after being Max's teammate. Uh, Alex, if he does well um, next year, he's going to giving more than one year to go up against Max again. If that opportunity happened, um, yeah, would be the 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 first choice. Also, Pierre is, is already frustrated that he's been overlooked again for next year compared to Sergio and even last year so Red Bull will then as Corny touched on Pierre we have to ask himself is it do I look elsewhere Red Bull will I have to ask do are we willing to race against Pierre as a well not part of the Red Bull family and actually a, a competitor is that something we want and so it's a whole big um question that I have to ask internally within Red Bull and Pierre himself
2: Yeah, I don't think the door is firmly closed on Pierre Gasly going back to Red Bull. I really feel that, despite the fact of how that relationship kind of soured um, back in 2019, I just got this funny feeling that because of Gasly's performances in the last uh, 18 months, it's really uh, opened up the the possibility that he may end up going back there. He's spoken quite positively about this. He's never shut the door himself. He's always put the onus on the team to make that decision. And I think owing to the fact that, you know, Red Bull thought that they signed Perez. They thought they'd signed the, uh, the you know, the the super number two or the perfect number two to Max Verstappen. And it's not quite worked out that way. Um, and there's no immediate option available to them. Although, you know, the picture is a bit rosy with Alex Albon. But for me, I just feel that if I had to pick the best driver to partner Max right now, um, you know, that's available to them in their own program, it has to be Gasly. And I think in a way, they probably know that too. And they probably think that perhaps this time away from Red Bull has allowed him to improve as a driver, improve his character. Um, Maybe also mature as well, because it wasn't the easiest relationship from Gasly's part as well. Apparently it was quite difficult um, to work with compared to Albon um, when things were getting difficult. You know, Gasly was a bit reluctant to change on certain things and it kind of, you know, helped to solidify his downfall that season. So perhaps the time away and the improvements in so many areas for Pierre Gasly's driving ability and as a person in Formula One, it may create an opportunity for not necessarily next season, but maybe a bit later on where Red will think, you know what, I think he's worth a gamble taking. Of course, that's assuming that Perez, it just doesn't work out for them and Albon doesn't impress enough to give him an opportunity. But anyway, look, let's get on with the Italian Grand Prix preview because we've talked about driver transfers quite a while on this episode already. Um, we're moving now to the Italian Grand Prix. The second sprint race um, this season, of course, we had one earlier at Silverstone, which um, it it was okay. I think it's fair to say it wasn't amazing, but it certainly wasn't boring. Um, And they're going to have another go at it this weekend. And I don't know about you guys, I'm expecting this one to have a lot more action and incitement about it, purely because of the characteristics of the track where you know for a fact there's going to be so much overtaking going on. Um, Courtney are you excited about the sprint race for Italy or do you feel that this is just something that we just got to deal with and then hopefully next year they get rid of it?
0: I am excited for it. Um, And for two reasons, I really do believe this is the ideal track to have a sprint race. Um, I'm excited about it for two reasons. Um, First of all, as you've already said, we're going to be seeing plenty of overtaking. This is going to be no by no means a boring sprint race. We're expecting plenty of action. And also, the new format dilutes what is usually a bit of a debacle, a bit of a shit show that we see seen qualifying at the Italian Grand Prix with the slipstreaming and everyone avoiding, everyone's trying to be like the last driver to avoid being towed. So I just think the format suits the characteristics of this circuit perfectly.
2: Yeah, I always remember what happened in 2019. It was absolutely hilarious. Um... And also disappointing in equal measure, depending on who you supported on the day. If you were a Ferrari fan, you'd have loved it because of of course, Charles Leclerc ended up on pole position and then went on to win the race that day. So, um, yeah, it, I, I understand what you mean. I got a funny feeling it might still happen on the Friday, even though yeah. the sprint race isn't obviously as important as the main mm-hmm. race. And sh- it does shape the grid for that. And of course you want to be high up on the grid for the, um, the sprint race as well. So, yeah Friday when the sprint race happens, of course when this episode comes out as well it's um it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes down um Lee, what are you expecting from the sprint race? do you think it's going to deliver more than it did in silverstone or are we ex- we're not expecting too much
1: i I think it'd be a more enjoyable sprint race to watch because i really I'm sure there has been, but off the top of my head, I cannot think of a time that I've watched the Monza race in Monza and gone well, that was boring um it's I, I would never describe it as oh that's a boring track i mean i love monaco but boy the races can be boring in monaco oh, because yeah. it's such a um just one after the other monza is overtake after overtake and it is, as corny said it's per, a perfect track for a spring qualifying because just the overtaking nature and it's easy and um well it's a lot of straights really uh, <laughs> which really it's also helps
0: turn one though with it, yeah. it like, turn, turn one is great particularly in a race when the tyres are starting to go and you're just waiting for the smoke to come from a, the yep. from one of the drivers at the front like we saw when was it 2015 I think it's 2015 if I've got that right then I'm definitely a nerd when Nico Rosberg was leading and Lewis was putting pressure on him and then you just saw you saw the tyre smoke and you realised that Lewis was leading so you do get those moments at Monza Yeah.
1: yep yeah, so that, that that's exactly why I think it's going to be a, a really enjoyable sprint qualifying. Um, but I do I do think we'll have the city streams on Friday though. Yeah,
2: yeah, I I think so too. I mean, this is a track above all others where the sprint races are designed for. You know, th- th- this is what it's made for: pure, um, unadulterated high-speed overtaking, and that's what fans want to see. Not necessarily DRS-assisted, although I'm expecting a lot of that. Um, We should also, you know, not forget to mention that it's technically not a sprint race. It's called a sprint. Um, I know, I know. That's never really going to catch on with me. Just call it for what it is. It's a sprint race. Anyway, but look, um, of course, that's going to shape the grid, as we saw in Silverstone. Uh, Incidentally, of course, we saw Max Verstappen on pole for the main race, uh, despite not qualifying on pole on the Friday. So... I guess we should get these predictions out of the way already. Uh, for the Friday qualifying for the F1 sprint, who's going to be starting on pole position, guys? Is it going to be Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen, or perhaps maybe we'll see someone else?
0: I'm going to go with Max. I, I just, I just think Max has got his confidence right back. Um, I reckon Max will get the will win on the Friday. But I think Lewis needs to get a big result this weekend. And I think Lewis will qualify for first for the race.
1: And what about you, Lee? I would completely agree with Courtney. Um, I, I think in in clean air, um, the Red Bull is probably, um, even with the top speed deficiency, will probably still be the fastest car, which will get it the traditional pole on the Friday. But that lack of top speed is going to hurt them in... The spring qualifying and in the race, so yeah, I imagine Lewis will get pole or win the spring qualifying. How? Where? The terminology um, for this whole thing. isn't it? <laughs> um, he, I think Lewis will uh, be, be the the main benefactor from Saturday.
2: Yeah, Um I think I got all that, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really confusing. Even you know, it's meant to be quite straightforward and simple. I just don't think it's ever going to be. But we'll have to. I'm sure they'll figure something out. But um. It's quite interesting, actually, because I personally think Lewis is going to be the favourite to get to be fastest on uh, Friday qualifying, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be an advantage because, you know, we normally get in races uh, that um, at Monza, it's not always often that the guy that gets on pole position necessarily is the favourite for the race. Um, You know, and in Lewis's case, I'm wondering if he thinks, you know, subconsciously that should I go for pole position or should I just line up just behind Max? Because we know Max is going to go for it. Max, for all of his qualities is definitely not the sort of person that tries to play 4D chess in terms of, or what's the best place to qualify so I can get the best run. You know, it's like Belgium, you know, he wasn't thinking for a second, Oh, if I park my car right behind Lewis, I'm going to get him on the run down to Lecom." Um, he literally put that thing on pole position and thought, you know what? I'll deal with it on the Sunday. Of course we never knew what happened, but, um, I'm expecting Max to go for I'm just wondering in Lewis's mind if he might fancy his chances if he starts behind Max Verstappen and gets all of that slipstream and the DRS and everything else that comes with it. I mean, Lewis is no stranger to winning this Italian Grand Prix without starting on pole position. You know, 2018 is a great example of how he went there when the Ferraris were dominant and formidable and he ended up getting the win because it was brilliantly executed and very nearly did the same in 2019. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, for the race itself, guys, That does raise a new question, and that is, uh, based on what we saw at Silverstone, we saw Max Verstappen obviously not start on pole for the sprint race, ended up winning the race by passing Lewis Hamilton, and then, of course, what we saw on the Sunday was Lewis realising that he had to get past Max as soon as possible to win the race. Of course, they collided, um, and Lewis, you know, managed to win the race anyway. Are we going to see those kind of mind games again on the Sunday, whereas whichever one of the two assuming they finish first and second doesn't win the race on Saturday decides, right, I'm going to have to be very overzealous and get in front on the Sunday in order to try and get the win in the main race where it counts the most. Um, Courtney, what do you reckon?
0: I think right now the mental advantage is with max. So if we are going to see some more RG bargy, I think more likely to see it from Lewis. Um, I don't think there'll be anything deliberate. Uh, Despite the uh, array of comments that we got about Silverstone, I don't think Lewis did go into Max deliberately. I think that Lewis let Max get away with a couple of incidents early on in the season. He thought, we am going to let him get away with it again. And it was. It was. It was the mind game. So, Max will be more mindful now of challenging Lewis, knowing what happened in Silverstone. But I think Lewis is going to be more likely to get his elbows out because he has to because if if Max wins the next race or so it's going to be very difficult for Lewis to come back from well
2: that's an interesting point and Lee I want to get your thoughts on on what Courtney just said in a moment because you know you're right to point out that a lot of what happened at Silverstone was built up owing to Max being um a tad aggressive in certain moves but you know he was getting the best of Lewis Hamilton in those 50-50 situations to the point where Lewis thought right I've had enough of this I am not letting Max get the better of me again and then of course neither of them gave an inch and they ended up having that collision in Silverstone but since then I can't say on on record that those two have had an opportunity to try and show to us that not necessarily they haven't learned from that but that One of them is prepared to give the other one a little bit of space in the aftermath of what's happened. And we could very much see that in this race, whether or not that is going to happen. I just don't think in good conscience that Max Verstappen is going to give Lewis Hamilton an inch knowing what happened at Silverstone. I think he's still going to be as aggressive, perhaps maybe more aggressive. Perhaps he felt like he was holding back a little bit. Um, so I think the question is going to be, will Lewis Hamilton continue to not let Max have that extra inch? Or will Lewis be the one once again to try and, not necessarily take evasive action, but try and be a bit more considerate and give his rival an extra yard of space to avoid another collision? Um, Lee, what do you reckon? Uh, are we expecting one of them to give way? or and, and I mean this in the best way possible. I don't mean like one of them is going to be a Wilson awesome back out. I just think... You know, we've seen Lewis uh, make space for Max when Max has gone in. We haven't seen Max do that for Lewis this season. I'm just wondering if that's going to change or if we are going we could potentially see a repeat of what we saw at Silverstone.
1: Um, so I, I would, for the most part, agree with Courtney. Um, if you were to describe Max Verstappen, you would never say, oh, he would leave space. Ever since Max joined Formula One, he's always been on the very edge of aggressiveness. Yes, he's never been in, challenge, in a, um, a championship for him um, challenge. But that's just not in Max's nature to go, oh, I'm going to leave a bit of room. He may hit me. I'll take my corner and be done with it. Um, so if there was ever going to be no circumstances again, um, that I reckon they will they will crash. Because Lewis, as Corny said, he won't give space. Um, I read a statistic today that I, I didn't realise that um mercedes has only won one race in the last nine races which is their worst statistics since 2012 and wow. um, so lewis know, as corny said lewis knows that if max wins it's going to become harder and harder especially as the season goes on so he needs to win and therefore he cannot give max an inch which they but he'd rather take him out not intentionally but I'm not going to give him space if we take each other out. At least it remains status quo and he hasn't gained more points on me.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, that's crazy, isn't it? That that statistic you mentioned, Lee, that is mad. Um, just trying to get my head around that because Mercedes won at Silverstone, obviously, with Hamilton. But, you know, if it went by the form book and let's just say, you know, for humor's sake, that Max won that race as well. It would have been back at the Spanish Grand Prix, wouldn't it? The last time. That was. Yeah. That was
1: last. Because um, wow. Red Bull won five from the trot. Then it was obviously Silverstone and then it was Ocon. Mm. And then we had uh, the washout. That was well, the, the non-race of Spa. And then obviously you've had uh, Zanibal. So yeah, there, there's your one race Silverstone.
2: I mean, we have gone from... Lewis Hamilton after Spain having the best start to in, in a season in his F1 career to, with the exception of Hungary, because he was the favourite in that race and, you know, what happened happened, potentially going next seven without winning one if if all the races had gone down as we'd have expected. That is, I mean, that when has that ever happened to Lewis Hamilton or even in the turbo hybrid era? That's crazy. It just shows how brilliant Max Verstappen and Red Bull have been this season. And the fact that, they've had to be that good to take it to Hamilton and Mercedes. This is the level you have to be at to beat a partnership as formidable as that one. It really, it really does pay testament to how good Mercedes and Hamilton have been in this turbo hybrid era for Red Bull and Max to have to do that and still only be three points ahead in the driver's championship. It's, it's crazy. Um, But Lee, sorry, I I did cut you off a bit there, so I apologize. But um, I'm, you know, following on from all of that, it does, you know, beg, beg the question with Mercedes that whilst I've just heaped loads of praise on them for what they've done for Lewis, um, after what we saw at the Dutch Grand Prix, are, are you concerned for their sake that perhaps they're not doing enough for Lewis, or perhaps they they perhaps they can't do any more for Lewis in that regard? Do you feel that they need to improve what they're doing in order for Lewis to win this championship?
1: Um, I, I I think they as, as a, a team. Um, and obviously the development race, they could probably do more, but they're choosing not to do more because they're thinking of next year. I think they're, they're almost at the point that not that they'll ever give up because it's not in their, their nature, or it's not in any form of one's team nature. Um, just go, oh, I'm gonna give up, but they, they're they thinking next year, next year. Um, where Red Bull are thinking, oh, they've got an eye on next year, but they're thinking, oh, this is our year, this is our year, this is our year, we're throwing everything out, this is our year which could hurt them next year. We um, don't know, because Red Bull are throwing so many more developments at that car than um, Mercedes have.
2: Okay. No, that's fair. I, I think that's a good point. Um, I mean, I've always said that I felt that Red Bull have, you know, they haven't gone 100% um, on to this season and completely, you know, written off next year just to win I mean, if they have, that's really, really stupid, no, even if they, they are successful. But I suppose... I mean, what I meant, or what I probably should rephrase with the question is, do you think Mercedes can do more, not necessarily development of the car, because let's assume, you know, at at their very best, there's about a tenth or two tenths difference, which Lewis can certainly make up as a driver, even if it is Max Verstappen, Lewis can certainly make up that deficit. But do you think Mercedes could do more tactically or do more as a team at the races for Lewis Hamilton? Because they're making quite a lot of mistakes that they otherwise wouldn't normally be making in the turbo hybrid era.
1: Yeah. And that's sincerely right. They've made a lot of mistakes, but whenever they had to um, think as much uh, on the, toe, um, on I mean, when they were facing Ferrari in 18 and 19, Mercedes were making mistakes. They just um, so happened to be that they got a hold of, they'd managed to beat Ferrari by the end of the season. But when they didn't have any challenges, obviously the mistakes didn't mean anything. They didn't have to worry or plan too much or anything like that. But in such a tight um, challenge, which Red Bull brought this year compared to even tighter than Ferrari, obviously, of 18 or 19, then Mercedes have proven they're not as apt at thinking strategically as Red Bull.
2: No, that's fair enough. Um, I mean, you're right to point out, you know, in previous seasons, Ferrari have offered a challenge like Red Bull did. But you know, Ferrari always made those key mistakes or Vettel made mistakes, you know, that cost them ultimately, whereas Mercedes were brilliant when it mattered. Um, Courtney, I feel like I've asked you this before, but for the benefit of the conversation, I feel like I have to ask again. um, Is it critical that Mercedes up their game as a team for Lewis Hamilton to win this world championship? Or do you feel that Lewis can still do it with Mercedes operating the way that they currently are? Because even Lewis has been far from perfect this year.
0: Uh, Mercedes definitely need to up their game because they're up against a supreme driver in Max Stappen and a Red Bull car, you know, development wise, I feel is slightly ahead of them. So, if with that in mind, Mercedes need to be on point as much as possible. Um, but at the same time, as good as Max and Red Bull are, I think anyone would be foolish to call uh, to rule out. Lewis Hamilton coming back in his championship. As you've already said, it's it's a minor miracle that Lewis is as close as um to Max as they are. Yes, some luck coming to it with what happened in Hungary and the way Silverstone works out. But Lewis just has this knack of keeping himself in it even when the car isn't quite there. So yes, Mercedes need to get things on point in order to to keep up, but you can't you, you can't roll Lewis out. You can't.
2: Yeah, definitely, absolutely right. You'd be a fool to write off Lewis, especially with the margin being so close between them at this point of the season. Um, I think we should pay some emphasis on the number two drivers in this battle as well, Bottas and Perez. I think what's key here is that Perez obviously didn't have the best of showings at the Dutch Grand Prix, although he did recover his uh, abysmal qualifying performance. Um, Not necessarily all his fault. His team did have... a. um, Apart in that. But he recovered well to finish in the points on a track where it's very difficult to overtake, evidently, from what we saw. But um, he's going to have a big role to play this weekend. And more interestingly, so is Valtteri Bottas, especially now that Bottas's future is now confirmed and that he signed a multi-year deal with uh, Alfa Romeo. Are we expecting an improved Valtteri Bottas now that he has managed to banish away his concerns over his future from his mind? He can now focus 100% on not necessarily just helping Lewis Hamilton, but also doing the best job for himself for Mercedes for the rest of the season?
0: Uh, I feel that now the um, future has been confirmed. The pressure is now off Valtteri. Whereas if you look at Perez, Perez knows that he... Perez is actually the new Bottas in that sense, where he's always going to be worrying at a certain time of the season. Am I going to have my seat taken? Am I going to lose my seat at Red Bull? So the pressure is now going to be building a lot more on Perez compared to Bottas. Of course, but at the same time, Bottas will be thinking, yeah, you know what? Obviously, I want to see the team win both championships, but he'll be driving more for himself as well. So, yeah, I think we'll be seeing a better Bottas. Um, And I think all eyes will be on Sergio Perez from now on, actually.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, Lee, what do you think? And and I'm going to add something else into this as well because obviously Bottas has his future um, secured. Obviously Toto Wolff played a huge part in that as part of his management team. But is there a temptation for Bottas to kind of go a bit like a lone wolf on this one where he's not going to focus purely on the team game or helping Lewis win the championship and perhaps be a bit more concerned about you know, getting the best results he can for himself. What, what do you reckon?
1: Uh, I, I reckon there's a chance he can go lone wolf. I don't think it's, it's so much in his nature, but you only have to look at Xanderthal where um, all right, they say it wasn't on purpose and he did slow down, but he still took the fastest lap and made it difficult when it wasn't needed to be made difficult for Lewis for that fastest lap. So th- there's definitely the potential will bust us, be as willing to provide a slipstream tomorrow. Where we imagine what city slipstream games are going to be, where you try and break the toe on purpose or you make it difficult. It, it, all these slight little things he could do to just be unhelpful. Um, but I do agree that with the pressure off, he's probably we're probably going to see the Bottas that we that earned him the drive in Mercedes in 2017. Ironically, um, it's probably going to be the be- best he's probably driven. Um, now the pressure's off and he knows he's going, he can just focus on driving and not worrying.
2: Well, on a track like Italy, the, you know, the helping your teammate in qualifying, getting that toe or taking turns, as some teams like to call it, of course, we've very rarely seen a team pull that off perfectly. Ferrari have attempted many times and usually get it wrong. Or, you know, another team might try it and one of the drivers does it and then the other one doesn't. And it's like all squabbles, you know, all the time. I remember Max and Ricardo used to do that at Red Bull all the time. So, yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, I I always remember 2018 as well, and I mentioned that season a lot, but I remember when Kimi Räikkönen found out, obviously, that he was leaving Ferrari and moving on to um, Alfa Romeo. And you obviously saw what that did to him in the way that Ferrari did that. It was very much pulling the rug from underneath him. And he didn't exactly pay them back best in kind, especially in the Italian Grand Prix and what he did there. Um, But, of course, the rest of the season, Kimi was really good, and he got that win at the US Grand Prix, brilliantly holding back Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen in that race. And, you know, a lot of Ferrari fans, myself included, thought if Kimi drove like that week in, week out, as much as I love Kimi, he would have probably been in the Ferrari seat in 2019. Ultimately, they went with Leclerc, and I think that was the right decision. But it's it's just crazy how drivers can have a new lease of life when they've got their future secured in F1 elsewhere. And of course, for Bottas, the security of a long-term deal was, was so important to him. But now that he's got that, we may see, as you mentioned, the Valtteri Bottas that we loved so much at the Williams team or the one that first joined Mercedes when he very much had a point to prove. He was heavily motivated, not that he isn't now. Um, and his performance has got the results that were, you know, merited from his driving. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. There's still a Constructors' Championship to play for. So both him and Perez are going to have key roles for the remainder of the season, not just for their teammates, but for their teams as well. Um, let's move on to... The battle in the, well, the best of the rest, if you like, Ferrari versus McLaren. And last week at the Dutch Grand Prix, I said McLaren were going to be brilliant and Ferrari were going to be crap. Um, This week, I'm going to stick with that prediction because of the nature of the Italian Grand Prix circuit. And this is coming from a Ferrari fan, although I try to be impartial where I can on this podcast if you're tuning in, you're brand new to us. Um, What are we expecting this weekend from this battle? Because Ferrari have really stolen a march from McLaren, probably their largest win over McLaren uh, at the Dutch Grand Prix, despite finishing only 5th and 7th. Are we expecting a a comeback from McLaren, Courtney? Or do we think Ferrari may have stolen a bit of a march on them?
0: I'm fully expecting a comeback from McLaren. Um, Partially, or mainly because of the track specifics, I think Ferrari are, are still known to be quite down on engine power. You know, McLaren have got that, the Mighty Merc powering them. So I think they will thought that would be one of the reasons why I thought it would be that. And also, Lando is due a good performance. You know, he had a disappointing um, weekend in Hungary with the accent that was obviously out of his control. And he wouldn't have been happy with his performance in Zandvoort. So, I think Lando's going to be really up for this one. I'm expecting, I'm, I'm, I'm actually expecting Lando to get a good haul of points this weekend in particular. And it's time for Danny Ricciardo to start picking up his performances as well. So this is the weekend that McLaren needs to hit back and hit back quickly.
2: Yeah. I mean, if I was McLaren, I wouldn't necessarily be worried, but, um, I think it's kind of dawned on everybody how significant Lando's form has been to the team's successes this season. Not that Ricardo hasn't contributed, but he's still having a hard time trying to get on top of this car. And perhaps we won't see Ricardo at his best at McLaren until next season. It's starting to look more likely that's going to be the case. um, Lee, your thoughts on this one? How do you think it's going to play down between McLaren and Ferrari this weekend?
1: I I, I would agree with both with what you both said that McLaren would probably be the the better team. If you look at uh, even last season, McLaren with the better team. Uh, Ferrari, obviously, Ferrari had a, a worse engine last year, um, so you can't completely uh, blame them on that aspect. But I reckon McLaren will have the better result because of the the nature of the track um, and the. The minimum, the the less amount of corners. I would imagine Daniel was probably going to be more himself. Obviously, he struggled. He's struggling with the exit phase. Obviously, there still is corners, just not as many. Um, so you may see the the late breaking aspect of Daniel that um, obviously, all the fans admire and love. So, yeah, Lando is definitely worth the result and I know we haven't got to the predictions bit yet, but I would say Lando for P three
2: yeah no, do you know what I'm I'm thinking that too if I'm brutally honest um, mm. it's going to be either him or Bottas yeah I think it's going to be either him or Bottas but Lando has been so good and you're right Corny he is due a good performance I, w- I, w- I wouldn't say Lando's been bad I just think in the last couple of races just obviously he's been very unlucky in Hungary it's been messy yeah it has yeah. been messy I mean Hungary was unfortunate um, Belgium I don't think we can really judge too many people on that because of how it all went down Um and the Dutch race, again, he was another driver that got caught in qualifying, although it must be said McLaren struggled that weekend, so you know, perhaps the result he got was probably as good as he was going to get out of that car anyway, so um, yeah, it's a very strange one, but I'm expecting good things from McLaren this weekend, I mean, look it's Ferrari's home race, they're always up for it traditionally in the last couple of years, excluding Charles Leclerc's win in 2019 which was, you know, a brilliant moment for him um, Ferrari have kind of tripped over themselves a lot at the home race last year was absolutely abysmal for them obviously you know Vettel's issue with the brakes and Leclerc crashing at Parabolica at a time where he could have been in contention to win that race given how it all went down um so you know we'll have to wait and see of course you mentioned the engine difference between those two Ferrari have spoken a lot about this new spec upgrade that they're going to get which is rumoured to bring them an extra 10 brake horsepower and also improvements to the electronics as well. Matty Bonotto has said, we're not expecting anything until after the Italian Grand Prix, which is a shame because that's the race you'd want to have that upgrade ready, especially in front of your home crowd. You'd want them to have, be excited about it, but, um, we'll have to see with Ferrari. We never really know where they're going to stack up. We know roughly where they should be, but they're either going to be really good or really bad. So we'll just have to wait and see how that goes down. Um, the uh, best of the rest, if you like, with Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin and Alpine. We always like to bunch those three together in these podcasts. Now, Alpine, you know, they had a good weekend at the Dutch Grand Prix. Alonso and Ocon got some good points. Alonso got that P6 after passing signs on the last lap. Ocon scored points as well. Um, how are we expecting this kind of battle to go down between them, Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri? Not forgetting Pierre Gasly, who was brilliant in the Dutch Grand Prix once again, coming fourth place, thoroughly well-deserved. Um, and of course, we return into the venue last year where he got his maiden win in Formula One. So, uh, Courtney, how do you think that's going to go, Dan?
0: I think the main battle, I think the, the, the two most impressive drivers from that midfield battle, let's say, have been Gasly and Alonso. And I just feel that Honda probably have, someone to get the stats up I'll probably prove it wrong, I feel that Honda probably have one of, if not the best engines this season. And Pierre Gasly has been performing so well. I think it's going to, I think there's going to be a battle between him and Alonso, but I just think that extra grunt with that Honda engine will give Pierre Gasly the advantage. So I expect him to be leading that, that pack once more.
2: Yeah. Those two, they haven't really come together much this season, Gasly and Alonso, yet they are really much the standout performers uh, and Sebastian Vettel as well, to a degree. Um, out of those three teams um, Lee what are your thoughts on this weekend regarding those three teams are we expecting another Gasly Masterclass or are we going to expect Fernando Alonso to make himself a figure or maybe even Sebastian Vettel with Aston Martin this does seem like a track where Aston Martin could do very well uh,
1: I'm listening to copy and paste what Courtney said oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly word for word sentence exactly what I was thinking the Honda engine the, you can go first uh, next time Lee you can go first next time have you
2: two been sharing um, notes or something before we yeah. went
1: on? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just uh, we obviously know our sport. Um, exactly. But no, it's, yeah, Pierre and Alonso, um, it's gonna, I reckon they're going to be fighting, but I reckon it'll be Pierre on top just because of the, the Honda engine having the extra more grunt than the uh, the Alpine.
2: So we're not expecting Aston Martin to uh, be a f- bit of a figurehead at the front of this battle because I think they could be quite strong. But again, it depends on what their drivers do on this weekend.
0: I think it'd be great for Sebastian Vettel, yeah. though, wouldn't it? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Be... A Monza of all places, I think. I think it'd be a nice. I think it'd be a nice middle finger to Ferrari if he was supporting a good performance. So that it'll be. I reckon he'll be highly motivated
2: this weekend. You know, Sebastian's too wholesome for that sort of thing. But I know what you mean. He'd probably do it in a subtle way that, like, kind of. Um... When Racing Point announced that he was joining them, obviously to be Aston Martin at the 1000th Grand Prix, which um, I don't know if Sebastian had any involvement in that, but I think that was a little bit on the nose or a bit, I don't know. I mean, people enjoyed it. When we saw him drive to Survivor, everyone was going, oh, that's some Ferrari celebratory weekend. We thought he Seb involved. Um, I didn't think he was too involved in the decision of when they were going to announce it. I just thought that was a bit of a cheap shot from Aston Martin to do that. Um, but look, it, it doesn't, you know, we're t- we're getting off topic a little bit here. Um, one thing I did want to ask about is Fernando Alonso, because as I said, the Dutch Grand Prix was superb. Once again, a great move on Carlos Sainz. He's still very much the, as much the matador of F1 racing in Spain as he was when he was winning world championships and fighting for them at Ferrari. And of course had his moment at McLaren, um, in their lesser years in the Honda period. But um, Nico Rosberg made a very interesting statement on Fernando Alonso. He was asked about him and he believes very, very strongly that if Fernando Alonso was in a car that could fight for this world championship, he very much believes that Fernando Alonso could win it uh, and would love to see him in one of those cars. Based on what we've seen this season, would either of you agree with that statement or do you feel that we've moved on to a point now where perhaps it might be a, a stretch too far for Fernando. Um, Lee, I'm going to come to you first just so that I know that you haven't taken Courtney's answer.
1: <laughs> uh, we've already uh, exchanged notes. now. it's all good. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I completely agree with Nico's sentiment that uh, Alonso hasn't lost any of the, the skill or the, the guile when it comes to his racecraft or his overtaking. Um, he may have lost a bit of speed, but Alonso was never known for being out and out fastest um, over one back or anything, it's, it's always been his race craft and he has not lost any of that. So he would be, if he had the car to do it, he would be right in that championship fight.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's quite fascinating with Fernando because, you know, you mentioned, you know, he might have lost a little bit of speed and we're talking like fine, fine yeah. margins. But I've always found it baffling how someone can lose speed in terms of driving when they reach a certain age. Like, it's not like...
1: Reaction times.
2: Yeah, maybe, but, you know, I don't know. You know, these guys, are, and, and women as well, of course, are so impressive when they train themselves on stuff like this that they're like superhuman. So it makes you wonder how how far that declines as you get older. I mean, we're seeing Lewis Hamilton is only a few years younger than Fernando, that clearly, you know, that doesn't happen as much as perhaps it did 20, 30 years ago. Um, Courtney, what are your thoughts on this one? Do you think Fernando could be fighting for a world championship again if he had the car underneath him to do it
0: i think he can and i think most importantly fernando alonso believes he can if he didn't believe he could win another world championship he wouldn't have come back to formula one he's really putting a lot of hope that alpine become the brawn of these regulation changes because we're expecting we're expecting to see a brawn gp next season we don't know who it's going to be He's gone back to a familiar team where he's had a lot of success with and he has that self belief he can win a championship and if Alpine do deliver the car how 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 could you possibly think Fernando couldn't because he showed he showed hallmarks um with his defending against Lewis in Hungary the guy still got great race pace he's still got that pedigree to be consistent and be consistent enough to win a championship
2: oh yeah absolutely I mean bet against him at your peril um I wasn't overly convinced that Fernando was going to be as much of a figure as he was at at the season when he started. Um, I've certainly been proven wrong on that one now that he's found his feet and he's really going at it. And um, yeah, that piece of driving against Lewis Hamilton at the Hungarian Grand Prix is probably the best piece of driving I've seen all season and for some time in Formula 1. And it's amazing because we always focus on overtakes and overtakes and overtakes to make great racing. But I feel like people don't appreciate the masterclass of defensive driving that we saw from Fernando I mean 2014 Bahrain Grand Prix Lewis Hamilton his defensive driving against Rosberg was superb almost you know equivalent of what we saw with Fernando and everybody talks about the battle between Alonso and Schumacher at Imola back in 2006 I mean he's literally marveled stuff um all for defensive driving you know that's one of the best parts of Formula One like people going about overtakes but I think you really got to give more focus to being a good defensive driver. And I think in this era of Formula One with DRS and overtaking aids and everything else that we don't often see that it's just so hard to do. So you really have to appreciate for what it is.
0: You know what? And It just come to me with the uh, change again with regulations and the likelihood is overtaking is going to become a lot more easier. A driver like Fernando Alonso could stand out even more. Defensive driving is going to be as important as ever. So this could work in his
2: favour. Yeah, could do, could do. I mean, they're obviously not going to get rid of DRS straight away, um, but hopefully if it comes to a point where they can do that and they can guarantee that we're still going to get good racing, then, you know, even better. Because sometimes I think DRS is too powerful, but, yeah. you know, that that's an argument for another day. Um, th- let's round this up with, obviously, uh, some of the guys at the back. The big talking point obviously has to be around Alfa Romeo. Um, they still haven't confirmed who their final driver is going to be for 2022. It does seem realistically that we're down to two possible canners free at a push. Uh, we've got Guan Yu Zhou, we've got Nick De Vries, Antonio Giovinazzi, depending on who you ask, really the Italian media, they seem convinced he's going to stay on. Um, but it seems to have emerged that owing to not just the fact that it's a promising young talent, but also the huge amount of sponsorship that is backing him. Guan Yu Zhou does seem to be now the bookies favorite on getting the second Alfa Romeo seat. Um, Courtney, who do you think is going to get the nod? Do you think they're going to go with Joe or do you think we might see Nick DeVries, who it does seem less likely he's going to be back in Formula 1?
0: Nick DeVries would make sense, given that he has had uh, a lot of success, obviously, in two different categories in F2 and F and Formula E. Um, But unfortunately... This is the biggest gripe that 4 in 1 fans have about the sport, and that is money talks. Uh, money talks too much, and I will, it would surprise me at all given the circumstances that it is uh, Guan Zhou that gets to see.
2: And uh, Lee, what do you reckon? I mean, do you feel that there's a chance that Giovinazzi might be uh, re signed by the team? I mean, I asked because I feel like, you know, it could happen, but surely if they'd have done it, they'd have done it in time for the Italian Grand Prix at his home race.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen exactly what you said, if they're going to do an Italian, Italian driver, um, they would do it at the Italian um, Grand Prix. Um, Alpha right, Romero is a, an Italian brand, but I know the team's Swiss, but the they would have done it, uh, announced Antonio at Monza. They haven't. And uh, to be honest, he, he's been better this year, but he's not gone, oh, wow, he, he deserved his seat there. But he hasn't done any blow blow away performances. And, um, Corny's right, money does talk um, especially with the the budget cap a uh, smaller team, 30 million I think it's 30 million euros he's rumoured to be bringing as a sponsorship that's a long way to make up, up um, the budget to bring a, a team that's currently at the back of the grid towards the, the rest the midfield or even towards the top, I don't know the, the, their current um, budget obviously but 30, 30 million euros is still a massive amount um, that he would be bringing um, if he, he did it and the, on, on the other aspect, if if it was a Mercedes-powered um, um, team, obviously Mercedes could throw in some sweeteners with um, Nick um, De Vries. But it's Ferrari; they can't throw sweeteners, and they can only pay um, hard money. And I don't think they'll bother paying thirty million euros uh, or something close to that to get him into that um, seat. And um, the only other aspect I would throw in is I know I, I know. Uh, Previously, um, one of the seats was supposed to be what was the choice of Ferrari for the driver academy. I think that they've got, that's now been overturned. Um, from what I've been reading, I'm not sure if that's the case. But another driver that um, I at least uh, been reading that maybe rumored is obviously Kimi still in the the Ferrari driver um, program. So I mean that's another outside contender from what I've been reading, but I don't think it's gonna be anyone apart from. Um, I can't pronounce his name so do (laughs) apologise yeah thank you
2: (laughs) yeah I mean 30 million is a lot of money I mean that's practically 20% of the permitted budget cap for a team which is a huge amount of money especially for a team like Alfa Romeo obviously you know they're not poor but they certainly weren't big spenders compared to some of the bigger teams in Formula 1 we'll have to wait and see I'm kind of surprised about the lack of candidates Um, involved Ferrari I mean at the start of the season we were looking at potentially Callum who seemed to be the obvious choice um, if an opportunity become available he'd competed in free practice and I'd heard glowing reviews about his performance Um, but we also looked at you know Robert Schwartzman and uh, Marcus Armstrong as well and you know Matty Bonotto had said that, that throughout the season particularly Schwartzman and Armstrong, that they hadn't performed well enough, in his opinion, or started the season well enough to be seriously considered for a seat in F1 next season. So, that's understandable, but Callum I find really, really strange now, because, obviously, we thought he was going to be in Formula 1 this season, and then, of course, with the introduction of Mazepin shaking everything up and with Mick Schumacher as well, that kind of threw everything to the wayside. So, uh, Lee, are you surprised that Ferrari whether or not they actually have an influence on a seat at the team. And I still think to a degree they do not necessarily putting someone in. Um, but are you surprised perhaps they're not getting themselves more involved in this decision than they are? Because it seems that whichever driver is going to end up in this car, unless it's Giovinazzi, it's not going to be a driver linked to Ferrari.
1: Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm not overly surprised. Um, I know Ferrari have a, a young driver program. They've never been a team historically that's been good at promoting and managing their, their young drivers. They've got their superstar in Charles. They've got a decent driver in Carlos. So I, I don't get me wrong. I, I like Carlos. But in Ferrari's mind, it's not Carlos. It's Charles. Carlos is the good number two. Not that he sees his number two, but that's how they, they see it. They've got Mick Schumacher, I'm sure that they'll love to get into that Ferrari at, at probably at the expense of Carlos. Um, so they don't need to think just that far, yet having other drivers. At least that's how it, I, I read the situation. So they're not that concerned. They can wait another year or two.
2: Yeah, I mean, none of the latter two that I've mentioned have really stood out to me to say that, oh, they definitely deserve to be in Formula 1. I mean... I'm a little bit disappointed about Robert Schwartzman because I thought he was going to be very good this season in F2. And and it's hard to really judge it because the F2 season has been so broken up because of the uh, scheduling and everything else that we've really been looking more towards the F3 stars like uh, Arthur Leclerc, for example, or Dennis Hauger at um, at Red Bull. Uh, th- those have been the guys, or, or some of the Alpine guys like Victor Martins or Kyle Collette, th- those have been the drivers that, have really been fresh in my mind in the junior levels that look like they could be ready for a seat in Formula 1, you know, with the exclusion of few in F2, like Oscar Piastu, for example. Um, and that's not even introducing Teo chair You know, that that one's gone quite... I think the F2 Canada has really uh, damaged the opportunities for those guys because it's so hard to judge them when the season's broken up as much as it is at the moment. Um, seems like a long time ago since Teo Porcher won the Monaco race. Um, Colney, on that note as well with Ferrari, just briefly... Um, Do you feel that perhaps Ferrari could be a bit more involved in this decision or do you feel that, like Lee said, they're not convinced anyone is good enough to be in Formula 1 in their academy so they're not going to try and push for it?
0: Oh yeah, I think it depends on how content they are with their current situation. I don't think they have any real desire to remove Carlos Sainz anytime soon. He's had a solid start for Ferrari. And as you guys have already said, there are other options like Vic Schumacher, for example. So it's not like they're desperate to bring driver through and getting ready to be a number two driver because Charles Leclerc is going to be the top guy some time. I think he's going to be that generational talent at Ferrari so it's not like they're struggling for talent at the moment
2: no that's very very true and of course they they do have the luxury of time on their hands Ferrari that's for sure um we're going to wrap this up now of course uh the last part of the episode we're going to give our predictions so guys for the main race only we're not going to worry about the sprint stuff who's going to be your top three and uh, who, what's your bold prediction for this weekend as well? Uh, Courtney, you can go first.
0: Lewis first, Mac second, Lando third.
2: Do you have a bold prediction for the race?
0: Mm. No, what? Sebastian Vettel
2: top five. Ooh, that is very bold, but I like it. I like it. Uh, on a track like this, it's certainly doable. And he's due a good result of the Italian Grand Prix. It must be said, it's not been a happy hunting ground for him the last couple of years. Uh Lee, how about you? Top three and bold prediction? Well,
1: my bold prediction is Max won't be in the top 3 um, oh. there They'll be um, Lewis, Valtteri and Lando.
2: Well, well, well. I mean, that will be certainly a sight Mercedes fans will hope to see this weekend. <laughs>
1: Um, I I I literally rubbed my hands with Gleam when he said that. (laughs) It hasn't happened Courtney, it's just (laughs) my (laughs) prediction. No, uh,
2: Max has been been incredibly good. I mean, am I right in thinking that in a race where Max hasn't been taken out this season he's finished in the top two or retired because of something that he hasn't, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, this is the Uh, level of consistency that we're talking about with Max Verstappen. I think it's something crazy it's just the top speed
1: I'm I'm concerned on Red Bull is they're the slowest car in the top speed on a
2: track like Monza. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you should say that. I mean, I'm still going to back... Uh, I think Lewis is his favourite to win. I'm still going to back Max Verstappen to finish in the top two, though, purely because Red Bull have adjusted... They've had such a, a wide working window with this car this season that on the high-speed circuits where we expected Mercedes to be so strong, Red Bull have adjusted their car where they've not only matched Mercedes but been better than them in those positions... This is going to be the ultimate test for that at this circuit more than any other. So we'll have to wait and see if that plays plays out for them. But um, certainly an interesting dynamic. But yeah, top three. I'm going to go Lewis to win. Max second and Lando Norris in third. Um, my bold prediction, I think... Oh, I'm going to say bold prediction that we're going to see... Oh, this is hard. To, I asked you guys of this, and I can't even think of one for myself. It was it's So ill-prepared. The best yeah, I'm going to go with um, Carlos Sainz to finish ahead of Leclerc. It's, no, that's not bold, is it? That's rubbish. Very really bold. I'm afraid. No, it's not bold. It's absolutely not rubbish. Again. <laughs> yeah, let's go again. I've got to do this because I've got to try and wrap this up. Um, all right, Bottas wins the sprint race.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that's yeah, fairly bold.
2: Yeah, and then he locks his brakes going into turn one and has to go for the little scapegoat bit and then he finds himself behind the uh the top three after that so yeah that, that, i think that's fair enough um guys of course let us know your predictions uh below in the comments section on youtube and of course if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platform you can also give us a follow and a nice little review as well if you can that'd be really really helpful to us and we'd really appreciate it incidentally of course guys if you are new to the dnf1f1 podcast please hit the subscribe button it's absolutely free would really really help us out we're trying to get to 500 subscribers and of course if we do we'll do a nice little q a video for yours truly and courtney as well which i'm really hoping you guys help us do because we really want to make that video for you guys of course if you haven't subscribed already please do why not You know, there's absolutely no reason I can think of. And I'm biased, but hey, help us out. Anyway, guys, enough plugging aside. Um, Enjoy the Grand Prix this weekend. It's certainly going to be a good one. Our race review is going to be out uh, a little bit later than normal. We're going to do it on the Tuesday um because i'm away this weekend so obviously i won't be around in time to do it on the sunday as we often like to do so it's just gonna be a little bit later than normal but just the one day so i'm sure it'll be worth the wait but until next time guys thank you so much for tuning in please stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast take care